It's Tom Albright with an AV Nation special celebrating Black History Month, talking with uh, Black members of the AV community. And with me is my good buddy, Mr. Wallace Johnson. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be on this side of the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Wallace uh, interviews a lot of people. He has a show here on AV Nation called Live Live. He also does a number of, uh, of work uh, with our buddy, uh, Tom Stimson. And produces live events, even virtual live events. Um, Wallace has been in the industry for, for a minute or two, uh, also on the uh, Avixa Board of Directors. Um, let's take a, a step back though and, and kind of walk me through, um, you know, kind of, we already mentioned the fact that you, you're kind of a live producer. That's where you are currently in, in the AV world. Um, how did you get there, right? What, is, what was the, the path to get you, Wallace, where you are today? Uh, the path was one that I kind of fell into it, which is a common phrase in the AV industry. Um, you know, my journey into the industry of how I found it. Uh, my dad got me in the industry. Uh, he brought me into the AV world at the age of nine. He was overseeing the large renovation at our church um, and took me to the AV booth and was showing me all the new soundboards and recording gear and video switching gear. And I just fell in love with it uh, from there. So every Sunday, Wednesday, Tuesday, choir rehearsal, if I could get to church to go in the sound uh, in the AV room and, uh, and hang out and play around and learn stuff, I did. Um, and so um, I stayed with that passion as a hobby through high school. And by my junior year in high school, I was like, I wanna do AV for a living. And at that time for me, it was concerts and church. Um, and so but when I graduated high school, that was my focus. Came down to full sale, did a couple of open houses, never went, could have afforded it, and then um, just started applying for jobs based on the stuff I learned over the years through uh, House of Worship and landed a job with American University in August. So typically when kids are going to college for that first kickoff semester, I graduated high school and went to college as an employee at American University and got my first AV job. And so from there, um, started hearing about this corporate stuff in hotels, applied with Swank Audiovisuals, got in there uh, that next spring, uh, worked there a few years, moved to Florida um, to join Audiovisual Innovations, now AVISPL, um, and served in many roles with them, leading lastly um, as Global VP of Operations of the Live Event and Hotel Services Division. Uh, that got sold, uh, stayed on the business side most of my career, but um, have always been a people person. Um, and so when I started uh, overseeing the production team and learning about what they do and how they do it um, and really trying to hone in on understanding that to be a resource to them, um, I just realized it was getting along with executives and people who were scared to go on stage or wanted to look good going on stage. So through just having conversations and making people feel good, I kind of realized that I can fit into the role of producer. So once I went independent, um, just my relationships with people, they asked me to come back to play that role. Um, it wasn't something I was looking to do. It was just something that people that I enjoyed being around asked me to do. Um, and so I came back and I did it. Um, and so I've been doing it for the past, uh, I guess, six years now, um, uh, off and on. Um, and now we're virtual doing it almost uh, every day. That, that's, and let's, let's talk about that for a second, because uh, you mentioned the fact that, that you, you know, working with these, these men and women who, who are in these trenches every day, they've gotten hit, I would argue, probably the worst. They've, they've faced the biggest brunt of this COVID crisis, at least for the AV industry, right? Mm -hmm. So talk for a second about how you and others in, in, in the live events area have been able to kind of reinvent themselves and add 
to their 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 um their toolbox over the last year to something that honestly none of us really kind of see, saw coming this entirely new um type of event not that they didn't have virtual aspects but you and i both know the event producers by and large have kind of shied away from it they, they've said oh well you know that's going to cannibalize right our our attendee that's going to you know eat into our in-person events and now it's it's their bread and butter it's, it's what they've been able to to bank on so how has the the you know you and others been able to take what you've learned over the years and apply that to the digital realm um, it's definitely been a, a mindset shift um, where, you know, in-person events had this size element to it that, you know, the bigger the event, the more stuff went in the room, the bigger the wow factor. Um, and virtuals kind of changed that mindset. And um, you, know, you correct in that, you know, the mindset was, you know, cannibalism of the live audience and people coming together and meeting in person. And so virtually with organizations having to do this, um, they've embraced the marketing side of the event and the content side of their event to understand that they have to, they have a potential to tell a message to a larger audience than ever before in a global audience. And um, accessibility um, was a barrier that I would say was the biggest barrier to in-person events. And now virtual events, you know, that, that accessibility layer is really gone, you know, outside of maybe a certain level of cost. There's no you know, geographical limitations of trying to be a certain place at a certain time um, and the wear and tear in your body. And so organizations, you know, were slow to you know, transition and evolve to meeting that way during the early part of COVID of last year. Uh, but now, you know, I really see, I feel like the industry has accepted it now um, and is doing more of it um, and is realizing the potential you know, as they continue to wait to get back to an in-person environment. And so those who are, are part of this evolution on the event production side, um, you know, for, for show callers and producers, it's been an easier transition because a lot of us look at, you know, TV and broadcast style events as kind of the playbook of how you would like to see um, a corporate or association live event go. Um, so for us, it was a natural transition because, we're used to looking at events in that type of way. And so with virtual events, it is more of a broadcast TV style event when it's heavily produced. Um, but for the rest of the industry, you're correct. There's a lot of, uh, of resources and people that are highly talented, highly skilled, highly educated, highly experienced, um, but the work they do doesn't fit in virtual just because of the you know, physical limitations of what we're doing in that space and people not traveling as much or staging as, you know, studios in larger spaces to create a higher scale looking virtual event. Um, so it, there's still definitely a lot of people out there hurting um, and struggling during this COVID phase, but there's certain roles that have been able to transition, move to the digital space. Um, you know, if you're a, a video uh, person at this point, you're, you're probably heavily involved in virtual because that's the yeah. core element of it. Um, other parts of the industry that we, the industry has been trying to embrace more. The, the graphics and content creators are heavily involved in the virtual space of trying to give it more of a broadcast style look. Um, audio people are, are, you know, still involved, but not, you know, mixing, um, you know, large consoles or large uh, PA systems as they would in a ballroom for a concert, uh, but they still have some limitations. And honestly, I've seen a lot of lighting people transform into uh, Zoom support technicians and graphic operators to, 
maintain ends meet during this uh, this time. So definitely a lot of folks have learned a, a new skill um, and it's skills that people have had that just haven't had to use as much. Um, and now with, uh, with the growth of the volume of meetings that are happening virtually now, I think it's giving more people opportunities to um, you know, hone in on those skills. You know, in companies, they scaled down, but now I see companies um, actually hiring and opening new positions. Um, not many, but some, which is just a positive sign in general, considering where we were, um, you know, six months ago during this time. So, um, you know, it, it's slowly coming back in a positive way, but still got a long ways to go. Let's talk about for a second. And the reason that we're doing this, these interviews is is because to talk about the, the Black experience inside AV, right? Um, you and I both got connected with AV uh, through through our churches. Uh, there is something about the, those those booths. Uh, I was not blessed enough to have to be introduced to the soundboard. They stuck me on an X10 lighting system. I couldn't even call it like console. It was a bunch of buttons. Anyhow, <laughs> um, you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you were the second black african-american on on the evixa board right yep um grew up you know uh doing house of worship and in in higher education talk for a second about being a black man in the, in the industry and some of the challenges that you that you've overcome and, and and how you overcame them yeah i would say you know being black in the av industry is a little lonely <laughs> um and it's not so much lonely i think at the uh, entry to mid-level, so uh, technician to lead engineer type of role. Um, and I feel there's a good amount of diversity there, at least from what I've seen in the demographics I've worked in. Um, it's really as I started to move up in the industry, um, it, I got to a point where I could, I could walk to a conference and look around in the room and there's nobody else that looks like me. I remember my first year going to AVAC, um, and the only other African-American was uh, Michael Blackman from ISE. And yeah. so and for years, I think, in fact, that it was only uh, the two of us. And then I, there was another person, I can't remember their name, I think my last year there. But uh, as I moved up, it got lonelier, um, you know. And interestingly enough, you know, as I look back at the challenges that I've had in moving up in the industry, many of my challenges were in the early phase, back when I was coming up in the industry, um, you know, it, it was just more so, I think part of it was youth. Um, I moved up pretty fast, pretty early, I, I feel for, uh, for a lot of the other cases that I see. Um, and in that, uh, when I first started, um, and before I moved to uh, AVISPL, I remember when I resigned from Swank, it was really because um, I didn't feel I got the respect based on what I had earned um, and based on peer feedback. Um, pure feedback, you know, I was doing the job that I wanted and doing it better than a lot of other people, but wasn't going to be given the promotion um, and, you know, learn from others confidentially that it was because, you know, I didn't, didn't fit the part, didn't fit uh, the look for what they felt would uh, be part of the contract and it would be acceptable um, to the hotel that they were trying to impress. And, and I got to a point in my career where I stopped uh, worrying about others' uh, opinions. And that really helped me look past what challenges could be um, because people can't, I can't change who I am or what yeah. I am. Um, but the thing I could control is how I am. 
and how I respond to people, how I respond to situations, how I interact with people, how I get to know people and how I treat people. Um, and I knew that if I did that right um, and, and, and put myself in front of the right people and kept myself ready uh, for opportunities that could be presented, I knew I wasn't gonna get many opportunities. In fact, I, I generally said, okay, you always get one shot and that may be your only shot. Um, and, and with that, I knew I had to be ready. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the challenges seemed to slow down as I moved up um, and maybe just because I ignored it to a certain degree um, based upon a determination that I had of, I'm gonna get to where I'm trying to go and I'm, I'm quick to point out if I feel I'm just or, or, or rightfully deserving of something um, and not getting it, not scared to have that conversation. It's not a hard conversation because I feel I earned it. Yeah. Um, and if I didn't, I'm open and honest and open-minded enough to listen um, to understand what I need to improve. And so by the end of those conversations, I always felt, okay, either I'm going to have a better understanding of what I need to do to overcome the roadblocks in my way, or they're going to have an understanding that they're being biased in their mindset and stuck in their ways and realize that I probably should have it and they're wrong for not, you know, making way for what, uh, what I've earned. So um, no, the challenges I, I definitely think were when I was younger um, and, and more uh, looking for more acceptance from superiors in the industry. Um, but then it got to a point where I realized how I could create my own. I knew my worth um, and that helped push me along to, you know, achieve whatever I sought out to achieve. One of the questions that, that we've, that we've kind of discovered um, in, in this process is the choice to overcome, right? The choice to overcome challenges. Um, and so the question really then is when you face challenges in, in any aspect of life, but today we're talking about, you know, um, biases inherent, inherent and overt as well as, you know, um, not necessarily, you know, obvious. Why did you choose to overcome those challenges when you could have, you know, it may have been an easier path to choose a different, you know, career or choose a different company or choose, you know, a, a different area. Why did you choose to overcome some of those challenges? Uh, I had a plan. Um, okay. I, I kind of live a model of life by something I call the successful process. And, and, and it starts with, for me and, and what I'm working towards, what does success look like? What is it that you're trying to accomplish in life that you know you want to go out and do? And now that you know what that is, when you detail that out, um, what are the roadblocks that are going to stop you? What are the things that are in your way of why you can't do that right now? Is it something you're in control of? Is it something somebody else is in control of? Um, and then once you determine what those roadblocks are, you sit down and you start mapping out a plan. How can I overcome these obstacles that are in my way? Do I go right at it? Do I run? Do I try to go around it? Do I need to bring in extra help? Um, and then, you know, with that, it's kind of mapping out, okay, now what resources do I need to overcome these obstacles and support my plan? You know, is that better training? Is that, um, you know, monetary? Is that, you know, internships? You know, in my career, when I first came in, I was happy to work for free as long as I can learn something from somebody else because I knew that would help me in the long run. Yeah. I remember uh, in my time early in the career, I wanted to do lighting. I asked my company to send me to their lighting training many, many, many times. Finally, I had to spend 1500 bucks to travel to Orlando, Florida to go get my own lighting certifications. But that was part of my plan. 
I knew what I wanted to achieve. And I knew that, okay, if this obstacle is in my way, but yet you still want to achieve it, there's more than one way to do it. So if you can get the resources you need to do it, then do it. Like, so really, and then once I, you know, determine what success looks like, understand the roadblocks, build a plan, understand what resources it takes. Now I have to go back and measure the plan and, and reanalyze the plan constantly and say, hey, is, is, is this still the success you wanted to achieve? As you get closer to it, is the grass still as green as you thought it was when you're working towards that? If it's not, do you bail? Do you just cut bait, stop, and work towards something else? Um, and so with that, everything I do, I work through that successful process model. And so with that, it's like, okay, if you want to do it, if that's what success looks like, what's stopping you from doing it today? Okay, figure that out. Okay, then now what's, what's going to be your plan? How are you going to work towards getting through those things that are stopping you? Now, what resources does it take? Okay, great. You got those resources. Now go. Start working towards that, that road to success and reanalyze it and reanalyze are those the same roadblocks? Are these the same resources you need? Is the plan you mapped out still good? So that from a, a, a philosophical standpoint, that's what I teach from a consulting standpoint. Um, when I'm talking to youth trying to get in the industry till I'm talking to people who've been in the industry for years or trying to figure out how to reinvent themselves in the wake of COVID and, and how to earn an income in the new age of live events in, in the digital space. It's the same model. And so I, I, I teach it, I preach it, I practice it. Um, and that's what has helped me, you know, either make the choice to go with these obstacles and overcome them or redirect the plan and go towards a new direction. Last question here. And, and this is somewhat philosophical, but also somewhat future casting. So you take this however you want. All right. You're getting ready to retire. Not currently. You're actually younger That's than I am. That's such a thing? You, 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 yeah, you're younger than I am. Um, <laughs> you're getting ready to retire. You're looking back on your career in AV. What do you want it to say? What do you want your impact to be on this industry? Ah, you know, I, I, I ask myself that question not every day, but almost every day as I meet new people, work on new projects um, and, and, and map out, you know, my annual roadmap and strategy for my organization. And it's really educating the future and, and bringing uh, more people who look like me into the industry and helping them find success. And, and really, you know, when I look back, I want to see them doing the same thing um, and making an impact on the next generation based on my influence. Um, and it's because I, like I said, high school kid, I, I never have ever, 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 ever filled out one college application, zero. I don't even know what one looks like um, because I had my mind made up in my junior year, I was going into AV. Yeah. And based on doing internships and the work I was doing then, I knew I didn't need a degree, but I knew I needed to talk to the right people and learn the right things in life and in business to be successful. Um, and so, you know, I like telling kids that story only from the fact that I don't want them to see a degree as an obstacle or college as an obstacle or even going to trade school as an obstacle. Um, so the, the impact that I, you know, want to leave in this industry is, you know, simply for the fact that I help people be better at what they do and uh, help people have better experiences in life based on knowledge sharing um, and applying my skill set that I've been uh, able to develop and you know, naturally born with to a certain degree um, and, and make things better in the industry for those who want to come in behind me. 
That would be a good place to stop. Wallace Johnson, WLJ Consulting. Uh, how do people get a hold of you if they are so inclined, sir? Yes, you can find me on LinkedIn at Wallace CTS, on Twitter at Wallace CTS, uh, the WLJ Consulting website, which is getting an overhaul and launch of a new brand, the Digital Experience Group. Um, and so, yeah, I'm in all those locations. All right, very good, Wallace Johnson. Uh, thank you so much for us, for Aviation. Go by our website, aviation.tv. That's aviation.tv. You can hear Wallace on his podcast as well. Uh, or you can check out our two weekly programs, one that looks at the weekly uh, news of the commercial side of AV and one that looks at the residential side. All that and more at avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Mm-hmm.